And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, it's a pleasure to welcome back to the show, an honor indeed, to welcome back Dr. Mark T. Esper, who was the 27th Secretary of Defense in U.S. history. And you may say, well, why only 27? Because the position used to be called Secretary of War. It changed under the Truman administration. And uh, when Mark Esper was appointed the 27th Secretary of Defense in July of 2019 by President Trump, he was confirmed by a 90 to 8 vote by the U.S. Senate in a very rare bipartisan fashion. He is the author of the best-selling memoir about his service during a very turbulent time for the United States. The book is called A Sacred Oath, and it's posted at the website. Um, uh, Mark, if, if, uh, if I may, you, you've tweeted recently about the idea of a ceasefire in the Middle East. And uh, you are not in favor of a ceasefire, but you do keep in mind an open mind about the appropriate need for a humanitarian pause. Is this just a, a, a question of language, of differences in designation, or is there a, a real and meaningful difference between a ceasefire and a humanitarian pause? It's a great question, and in my mind, there is a difference in terms of how I interpret it, and, and others do as well. But I think you have to go back to <clears throat> the foundation of this, and that is uh, under international law, specifically the Geneva Conventions, uh, Israel, the United States, many other countries, mostly democracies, have signed on to be bound by the laws of uh, armed conflict, we call the laws of war. And under the laws of war, there are responsibilities by each side, and that is to, of course, take care of prisoners, to, to not, um, you know, not target civilians. And it, when you're dealing in a situation like this with urban warfare, you're supposed to respect civilian infrastructure, um, you know, museums, uh, hospitals, things like that. You're supposed to allow uh, all with proportionality and reasonableness, uh, humanitarian aid and co- humanitarian corridors to uh, to function. So, anyways, that's that's kind of sets the stage for uh, my view. That on one hand, I do not support a ceasefire because I think a ceasefire c- conveys something more than just a pause, something longer in term. And my view is that any type of cessation of hostilities benefits Hamas. It allows them the chance to regroup, to refit, to rearm, uh, and, and to continue their attacks on Israelis. With regard to a pause, I see that as something very limited in time and purpose and location. So, in other words, you might say uh, we should take we should have a pause in the conflict for a couple hours to allow civilians to escape or to to exit this location to move to another, or we would have a, a an hour long pause in order to exchange prisoners or to release hostages. I think under those circumstances, it makes sense, but it has to be limited. And it ha- again, in both time and scope and purpose, because otherwise Hamas benefits in this war that they started uh, with the with the slaughter of innocent um, is- Israelis, um, you know, on that October 7th. So that's how I define it. And that's kind of how I've laid it out. And you talk about Hamas starting this war. We're still fighting the war that Vladimir Putin started 
It's going on two years ago. And actually, his uh, attacks on Ukraine uh, date back to 2014, a long time ago. Uh, there is a uh, defense news uh, raising questions with these two big wars going on that the United States may not be able any longer to fight two major wars at one time. That used to be the focus of our defense preparation, that we had to be able to do that. Uh, do you think that, uh, that the question of America being able to handle two wars at once, do you think that is uh, a bigger question than it should be? Uh, you, you know, the question of being able to fight and win two wars at the same time has its roots, obviously, in World War II, and we confronted two major theaters. And, and for some period of time, that was the strategy. But but uh, these days, clearly, there's not the appetite, not the political will to fund a military that could do that. And, and in fact, during my time, even in uniform, going back to the early 90s, uh, we didn't have the means to do that. We would – a strategy at that time was called, uh, well, you know uh, – win, hold, win. In other words, you'd fight one fight while you held off on the other one, and then you'd go back and fight the second one. So we don't have the, the political will. Um, we don't have the, the, the fiscal ability and, uh, and frankly, maybe not even the manpower to build a military big enough to, to fight two wars. Now, that said, the, the, the related question here is, do we have the defense industrial base to, to sustain uh, our allies, our partners in two conflicts? And And that is a question mark right now. We've We've done a lot depleting our own reserves and tapping out our defense industrial base. It, it's a defense industrial base that I, I actually worked in for several years. It was geared toward efficiency and not toward surges and not toward an extended conflict like we've seen, as you said, in Europe. So uh, slowly uh, that that is coming back online. Um, uh, DOD was a little slow in terms of getting that going again. Congress has been even slower in terms of providing the money and the authorities to do that. But it's going to take some time, uh, a couple of years or so, to get the defense industrial base to a point where we could not continue to not just support a conflict in Ukraine and Israel, but also be prepared in case the Chinese try to do something in Asia. And uh, speaking about Ukraine and uh, Asia, Taiwan, and, and what is going on in Gaza, uh, do, you, do you believe that uh, Congress should expedite the additional aid to uh, Ukraine that President Biden has asked for? And uh, what would be your message to Republicans who say that uh, money should go to protect our own border, not the border between Ukraine and Russia? Yes, yeah, so look, I think Congress should pass the entire package, which includes it's one hundred and five billion dollars, which includes funding for Israel, Ukraine, uh, Taiwan and the southwest uh, border security. Uh, so I, I think it's a comprehensive package. All the issues are national security related, in my mind. In some ways, they are linked, of course. You know, if you look at uh, uh, the conflict in Ukraine and the conflict in Israel, in both cases, uh, you have Iran providing weapons to the uh, antagonists and you have Russia supporting as well. And uh, if you even China has taken the side of uh, is for, for all intents and purposes opposed Israel in this conflict. Um, so, look, I, I think the arguments of Republicans who say we can't support Ukraine because we have to support uh, or have border security, I, I think it's a mistake, and I think it's a false choice. We can do both. We should do both. I think now it's uh, becoming nearly bipartisan agreement that our border is in crisis, and we don't have good control over who's coming across. And so uh, I, I think uh, passing the entire package would make sense.
that's uh, Mark Esper, Mark's uh, book. Uh, it's a New York Times bestseller. It's a. Am-